Hello, 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 and welcome to my podcast, That Show Fucked Me Up. It is I, the beautiful, the talented, the funny, your host, Mariel Vizcarra. Cue in the applause. What is up, Fuck the Fam? It's your girl. You already know the drill. But if you don't, here it goes. That show, Fuck Me Up, is a podcast where I talk about TV shows that fuck me up. Pretty straightforward. And this season, I'm covering sharp objects. In this episode, I'm going to be covering the fourth ep- No, not the fourth. Oh, my God. Where's my head at? The seventh episode of Sharp Objects. So if you haven't listened to the first six, go back to the beginning of season 10. Go do it right now. You have to listen in chronological order. Well, I mean, you don't have to, but I think everything will make so much more sense if you do. <laughs> what was I going to say? Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a really long episode. This episode, uh, trigger warning, it fucked me up. This episode destroyed me um, because the truth comes out and the truth hurts. We all know that. We all know that the truth hurts. But before we get started with the coverage of today's episode, we're going to do some personal updates. Damn, I feel like I haven't recorded in a while. But last weekend, um, I went to Vegas for my friend Carla, a.k.a. Cicerati, a.k.a. Carla Pollita Bebe. <laughs> birthday celebration so second time i go to vegas this year am i crazy yes i'm a very very crazy girl however i took better measures this time i did not drive because fuck that i'm never ever ever driving to vegas again that was miserable i was depressed it was the worst time in my life when i did it with yaya aka Elisa, aka don chamango um so, yeah, I flew Southwest. Honestly, slay. Southwest, queen, icon. Just, like, getting in the little flight, picking your own seat, uh, being able to bring a fucking personal item and a carry-on free of charge. And I think you could also, like, document free of charge. Iconic. We stand. Who is she? We all love. Um, so, I didn't want to miss any days of work. So, literally, I left Friday at night like around 8 p.m., got there like at 10, made my way over to the hotel, started getting ready, started pre-gaming as soon as I got there. Uh, I was almost done, like I had my hair done and most of my makeup done, so I, it was just like very minimal stuff that I had to do. But we headed out to Chayo. So Chayo, I had actually been to Chayo when I went in April. However, me and the girlies went to eat we did not go to party because it's a restaurant and at night it like transforms into a nightclub. Chaya was so much fun. Fuck the fam. If you're in Vegas and you like music in Spanish, if you like some reggaeton, if you like some cumbias, if you like a little bit of everything in Spanish, Chayo is where it's at. There's no cover. There's no getting in like guest list. You show up there. You they check your little ID and then you go inside and you have the time of your fucking life. It's, I think it's in front of the, or it's by the when. I might be wrong. I might be so wrong. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I got fucked up there. I think I was already fucked up before I left <laughs> to get to Chayo. We pre-gamed hard. Because I'm like, what did I have to drink there? 
Yeah, I think I just took too many shots before leaving, and then I got a like a drink there. And then we went with a lot of gay people. We love LGBTQ. Uh, we the that show fucked me up. Support and I'm an ally. Speaking of being an ally, remember? I don't know if I told you. I think I did. Yeah, when uh, during a pride, and that that girl was like, "Hey, did you celebrate any uh like pride activities, or did you do any pride activities?" And I was like, "Oh no, I didn't." And she's like, "Uh, homophobic." And I'm like, "No, I'm not homophobic. I'm literally like the biggest ally." And she's like, "So you're gay." <laughs> two extremes the two extremes but aren't we all gay um where was it going with this so we went with a lot of gay guys so we ended up at a gay club called piranha 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 i don't know how to those who know me if you're new here i have a very hard time pronouncing easy to pronounce words well i feel like piranha piranha is not an easy to pronounce word uh let me know how to pronounce it i could look it up like i literally i could but I'm not going to. So if I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, let me know. We went there. It was fun. And then the next day, what time did we go home? I think we got home like four or five in the morning. Yeah, dude, that was a long ass day. I was exhausted. Like your girl got home and went Mimi's. Well, by home, I mean to the hotel. We took, we stayed at Treasure Island. Actually, so last time I stayed at Caesar's Palace, because I went with bougie friends, and Alyssa wanted to stay at Caesar's Palace, so I was like, bet. And then this time, I went with ratchet friends. <laughs> and we stayed at Treasure Island, but it was... I don't know. I Treasure Island was fine. Like, I thought it was great. And for the price, you can't beat it. Shout out to Treasure Island. Treasure Island hoes, yes. And then the next day, we just, like, were hungover. We walked a little bit. We got some drinks from the CVS at Treasure Island. And then um, we got pho, dude. Oh, yeah. So we got breakfast in the morning at the breakfast place. And at night, the breakfast place, place transforms into a pho place, bro. The sopita, the pho, the broth, it hits so hard. So fucking hard. And then we went back. We napped. And then we got ready to go see Fisher. So we went to go see Fisher at Omnia. It was fine. Like, for me, if I go hard one night, it's very hard for me to go hard the next night as well. So I was just like, like, the alcohol wasn't coming in. Like, I just didn't feel like drinking. I made it to, like, 2.30 that night on Saturday. And, like, Fisher was fun. Like, all my friends love Fisher. Um... But at 2.30, like, I was looking around to see who was also ready to go. And I found a couple of people that were also down to go. And I feel like it was the sober people. <laughs> um, And then I was like, you trying to leave? I'm always a trying to leave, girl. You like, once I start getting just a little bit tired, once I start feeling a little bit uncomfortable, like my feet start hurting, I'm going to leave. I'm sorry. Y'all continue to have fun. You stay out as long as you want. I don't give a fuck. But I'm going to go Mimi's. I'm exhausted. I'm at the age in, in my life where I'm like, no, I'm not going to stay. If I'm tired, I'm going to go. Or if I'm hungry, I'm going to go grab food. Then I'm going to go to bed. So that's what we did. We left like, we, we first at like 2.45 and it was 2.30. And then I was like, we just stared at each other. And, and the guy that was ready to go, he's like, or we can leave now. And I'm like, bet, let's go. <laughs> um, 
so yeah we just left grabbed some subway because that's what was available or what we found along the way and then we went home oh, so good like i just you know what i love about hotels that i could watch law and order uh svu and just chill like it's always a guarantee that at whatever time you turn on the tv you'll find a channel that's playing law and order svu and it's just so comforting to know that it's always gonna be there for you <laughs> tell, tell me why these bitches came back like at 4 30 at four i knocked out after eating and watching svu like an episode of svu these bitches come back at 4 30 they start blasting music blasting as i'm asleep but obviously i'm with a bunch of people that are there to party so i like I like tuned it out and the birthday girl, she's like, I'm trying to continue party. Let's go downstairs. She kept trying to sneak out to go downstairs at 4.30 a.m. Like, no, at five. Tell me why in the group chat that we had for Vegas, she was sending pictures at 6.30 in the fucking morning outside with the sunrise. Fucking crackhead behavior. Go to sleep, girly. So that was Saturday night, and everyone that stayed out super late was like, we're not going to make it to the pool party. Tell me why we made it. And we got a day bed. Oh, my God. Next time I go to Vegas, next time I do pool parties, I'm always going to get a day bed. It's not that expensive. You have to, at, at minimum, spend $600. $600 divided by the people that are there is not bad. So it was eight people. We spent, like, a little bit over $1,000. It was, like, $134 each. So it's not bad at all. Like, it's not bad. You have a place to stand. You have a place to put your shit down. You have a place to lay down if you want to. You order drinks right to your little day bed. It's amazing. It's great. Not me doing marketing for Vegas. <laughs> for Tao Beach Club or, like, pool club or whatever. Fucking call. We, uh, we saw DJ Mustard, which throwback because when I was at UCSD with Carla, the birthday girl, we saw him at like the UCSD like summer festival, like music festival, which is called Sun God. Oh my God, I had so much fun. I love pool parties. I fucking love pool parties. Being out, tits out, ass out, shake, shaking my ass, shaky, shaky, shaky. I, <laughs> I think I'm at my happiest at a pool party whenever I'm partying. I... And then DJ Mustard was playing, like, really good music, like, hip-hop and shit like that. And that's my type of music. Like, I want to sing songs I like. I want to shake my ass. I want to be a whore. Like, I just feel so welcome in that environment. <laughs> and then I got fucked up. Again, little space in between. Got fucked up on Friday. Didn't get fucked up on Saturday. Got fucked up on Sunday at the pool party. We go back home. I'm like, I'm going to shower first. I'm going to take a nap. I take a nap. I think I shower like at 6. I wake up like at 9 for my nap. And then they're like, you ready to go to go see Don Dalla? And I'm like, absolutely not. I have an early flight tomorrow morning. You bitches are fucking insane. You bitches are fucking crazy. I'm staying in. Only two people made it out to Dom Dalla. They came back like at 4 in the fucking morning. Absolutely not. I stayed in. I watched SVU, I ate, I had the time of my life. Well, not really, because I was I was hungover. <laughs> I was hungover at, like, night because I drank during the day. That's the only negative thing of drinking during the day. The hangover hits you, like, at 9, 10 p.m., and it sucks. It's so bad. I hate it. 
But yeah, then I came back to San Diego and I came back on Monday morning straight to work. I'm insane. It's fun. It was so much fun. Shout out to Vegas. Shout out to Carla for inviting me. Shout out to all of Carla's friends, all the Sin City hoes. So much fun. So much fucking fun. Uh, that was a really long Vegas update, but let's move on to Hurricane Hillary. I'm literally recording this on the eye of the storm. Uh, so it's August 20th, Sunday, August 20th. I literally just woke up to record this episode because so I didn't do anything yesterday because I was like preparing and by preparing for the hurricane or the storm, I didn't do shit. Like I cleaned my house in the morning yesterday and then I just watched TV the rest of the day and I ordered food and it was fucking amazing. But today, I think today is supposed to be like the actual bad day of the storm. But right now, I think it's so there's it's 11 a it's like currently raining. No, now it's not raining. It says that at 11 a.m. There's a 60 percent chance of rain. So I think it just like, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's going to hit or not, but in different parts of San Diego, like the wind's a little like, like higher speed or whatever. But right now I'm like sitting in front of a window. There's a big ass tree in front of me. Oh my God. If that tree were to fall, it might, if it falls this way, it might fall into my apartment. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) But the tree is not moving. There's no wind. So I'm just like, is everyone gaslighting me right now? Like, is the hurricane really going to hit? Hurricane Hillary. Like, I'm waiting for you. I'm ready for you, bitch. I don't even know why I'm saying that, please. Uh, just a little rain. A, a little rain never hurt nobody, TBH. So I'm staying in. I was like, okay, I didn't do shit yesterday. The first thing I have to do when I wake up is record this episode because, you know, uh, responsibilities. And then um, maybe later... Well, no, I'll eat breakfast and then I'll watch more TV. And then I guess I'll start taking notes for the last episode of Sharp Objects. I don't know if I'll finish them today. I don't know. It's a, it's fine. It's fine. We're ahead of schedule. And what else? Oh, my God. Yesterday I ordered Indian food. Fuck, though, fam. Damn. Why does Indian food go so hard? Like, I ordered butter chicken. I mean, I know it's, like, the most, like, what is the word that I'm looking for? The less adventurous food item to choose at an Indian food. But I just love, Indian like, butter chicken so much. The spices that are used in, like, the sauce that the chicken is cooked in. Oh, so fucking good. Garlic, cilantro, naan so good and then i got samosas dude those samosas crack like what the fuck is in the feeling because i know it's potato but the potato looks like a little yellow so i know i think they might add turmeric or but there's like this flavor that i just can't i don't know what it is and it's so good with the tamarind sauce so fucking good i love indian food i don't have it a lot there's a place called to my uh, close to my apartment called Himalayan and Yaki Kitchen or something like that. I don't know. It's like super close. It's right by the 99 cents store. Not me triangulating my um location. It's right by the 99 cents store. The one in El Cajon Boulevard. At. <laughs> and I live on just kidding. Just kidding. Please, please don't stalk me. Please. Thank you. 
thank you but yeah today i'm just staying in uh probably oh dude ramen you know what hits so i was telling my friend christina i'm like pho or hot pot hits during rainy days that i'm not gonna go out and get some and i already ordered food yesterday and i'm just i've been spending so much fucking money so i guess i'll just make myself some ramen at home however i prefer ramen at home over ramen at a restaurant what does that say about me like the brothy ramen, oh so fucking good with a fried egg some weenies um some fucking what are they called the frozen steam the dumplings you add the, the frozen dumplings to your sopita so fucking good oh can't wait for that um and i think that's it for personal updates so podcast updates just again for everyone listening remember to like the podcast give it a five-star review um because it helps with visibility and we want more people to join the fucked up fam if you're listening you're literally literally part of the fucked up fam already you can't it's a for life thing it's like yeah it's it's a for life job it's a for life responsibility being a part of the fucked up fam i'm sorry i'm sorry you didn't choose this it chose you and shout out to pods network the, the network that i'm currently um you know part of they're the best they're getting so many like listens to my episodes so shout out to them and if you have any thoughts or ideas or comments and you want to leave me a little voice message a little voice memo i'm gonna drop the link for how you can do that in the episode description moving on to recommendation corner so i watched two movies yesterday yes i told you i spent the whole day watching tv i didn't do anything it was amazing we love we stand first movie infinity pool so i had been wanting to watch this movie since it wasn't on theaters uh, because i was just intrigued by the trailer tell me why the i love trailers that intrigue you but they give you zero information of what the movie is about i this gave me like not the same type of movie but kind of like the same thing that barbarian did with their trailer they kind of painted you a different story and then they gave you like uh, it's like it turned out to be completely different so that's what i think the people from infinity pool did uh it was really good i liked it it was a little bit too long i think it was very artistic so there was like sections so there was like this orgy scene that it was very artistic and um i remember i took like a sexuality uh in the media class or in media or like sex in media class or whatever and we were talking about how there's a fine line between porn and like what people consider artistic porn or like art and there was like um the example that was given was like this man filmed himself and his muse so his wife having sex and then they put it up like as an art exhibition so it was it was literally porn but depending on where it was available that's what categorized it between like art or like differentiated between art and pornography so there was this orgy scene in infinity pool and it was very beautiful it was very vibrant it was also like an orgy scene while being on drugs so i mean the color is amazing amazing like just like small pieces of body so you can't see like the full body you just see like 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 a tit or like hands grabbing something or like stuff like that you know and but i was like you could have cut it down some scenes could have been cut down it was a little bit too long for my liking the ending mm. 
I mean, I get the symbolism behind it. Like, uh, spoiler alert, at the end, Mia Goth uh, kind of like, uh, what is it called? When you give, um, what's the word? When a baby is feeding off of your chichi, of your tit, what is that? <laughs> oh, what the fuck's the word? Not, what's the word? <laughs> when you're a mother and you feed your baby with your own body, what's the word? So whatever. Mia Goth does that to like the main character, a grown ass man, and it's like I know the symbolism. It's like, oh, you're mother to him, literally Mia Goth mother, or like he's being reborn or whatever, whatever. Um, it was good. It was a good movie. I I enjoyed it. It I was like surprised every turn, and yeah. Uh, I didn't look up a video on what it meant at the end of it. So I think that's always, like, great. Like, if I don't have to look up, like, what did the ending mean? I think that meant... Maybe I should. <laughs> maybe I didn't get this fucking movie. Um, the other movie that I watched, which I knew the premise about, and I was just, like, I was I was just in a silly, goofy mood. I was, like, let me watch a horror movie. So I watched The Descent. I don't know why I do this to myself. I hate jump scares and I hate watching scary movies alone. And that's why I rarely do it. And that's why I enjoy podcasts that like retell me the story of a horror movie or like retell me what the movie's about. That's why I love the Ruin podcast. That's why I love horror movie talk. But I remembered the Ruin podcast covered The Descent like a while ago. I think it must have been like one of their first episodes. And I really enjoyed it. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna watch it. And I did. And it was so good. And then I tweeted afterwards and I was like, I would never be one of the bitches in the descent because I would never voluntarily go inside a cave on a little girly excursion. I would, that would never be me. I would never in a million years do that. I went inside a cave once. It was in Oaxaca. We went on this little excursion with family. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was fun. It was great. Like I didn't die. People or like, Something that looks like a person but isn't a person didn't attack me. But I, yeah, it was a scary experience. We were hiking down the mountain or up the mountain, got into the cave, had to, like, flatten ourselves out, like, out into the ground to get through, like, some of the clearings. Not great. Like, I've said it before and I'll say it again. For me, vacation is relaxing. Not doing any physical activity, having a drink, being in the pool, uh, maybe being a tourist a little bit. So, yeah, maybe that includes a little physical activity. But, like, still, like, something that is not going to make me anxious. <laughs> and these bitches, damn, fucking that one bitch, Juno, fuck that hoe. Also, second, I would never be in that situation because I would never fuck one of my best friend's husbands. That's just me, though. That's just me. Oh, my God. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> but it was really good. And I remember how I told you I started watching The Bear? Well, I just watched the first episode when I told you, but I hadn't, like, continued with the other episodes. But I start. I, like, continued it. I finished the first season. Oh, so good. I tweeted the other day and I was like, why did no one tell me watching the the bear was going to make me depressed? Oh, 
I don't know if it's just like all the yelling and about like the backstory of how Carmi ended up there and like seeing how all of the characters are literally struggling because they all lost someone who was like dear to their heart. Like Carmi lost his brother. Uh, Richie lost his best friend. All of the workers in like the restaurant lost their boss who like they had like loved because they all have worked there for like the longest time and like Sydney dealing with her own cheat own shit not cheat take a shot while navigating like the like this new work environment it's so good the writing is oh so fucking good the acting oh, Jeremy Allen White hi hi daddy <laughs> yes chef chef I can't even pronounce chef that's not even sexy. Oh, my God. Imagine, like, trying to flirt with him. Like, yes, chef. And then I mispronounced chef. And then, like, it's just, like, really awkward. That would be me. That that would literally, literally be me. Okay, this was the longest intro. And we have a really long episode ahead of us. And I might cry just a heads up. Uh, but let's get started. All right. Episode 7 of Sharp Objects is called falling the episode opens up with camille walking over to look at emma's dollhouse and one of the lights inside one of the tiny doll rooms turns on and then all of the lights in the rest of the dollhouse turn on which gives me very much haunting of bly manor vibes and camille is like what the hell and she bends down to inspect it and then the camera does this cool thing where it records camille's face from the point of view of the dollhouse so as if the camera was inside the dollhouse looking at Camille and she's looking through the different like panes or like the different rooms. And as it, it switches from like one pane to another, her face transforms to young Camille and then back to present day Camille. So it was like a really cool effect. And as she's looking through one of the dollhouse windows, one of the dolls inside moves and Camille is startled awake in bed. Camille then remembers her night before and my girly is feeling the effects of the drugs. And then Adora's like, good morning. And Adora is like creepily sitting inside Camille's room watching Camille sleep. And Camille's confused because she's like, I fell asleep with my clothes. Why am I wearing PJs? And she asks Adora if she took off her clothes. And Adora tells her how her clothes were ruined and how she brought her some, um, some ice for her swollen ankle. And she tells her that she had a nasty fall. And she also... Um, tells Camille how Emma knows better than to come up those stairs with the lights off. And she's glad that Camille caught her and she calls Camille quite the protector as she approaches her with the eyes. Camille tells her mom how she has to go to work, but Adora tells her to lie back and Camille tries to fight her, but Adora's like, lie down. And she, and she, she gives her like a spoonful of honey as she says a little bit of sweet before the bitter helps. And a, and a bit more sweet is staying all day in bed. And she's like, that's the, that is the prescription that I'm giving you. As she tries to give her like a spoonful of some medicine and like a blue container that she has. But Camille reiterated, reiterates that she has to go back to work. And Adora's like, let me at least wrap up your ankle. And she grabs Camille's ankle and Camille pulls away in pain. And she tells her to mother to just leave her be and how she's tired, but that she needs to get work done. So she like, Tells her that she doesn't want medicine, she doesn't need help, blah, blah, blah. Adora tells her to make it a short day and then to come back to her so that she can nurse her back to health. And she basically tells, tells Camille how the body collects and that she should not take her health for granted. And Camille just goes inside her bathroom to change. And as she changes, as she closes the door, 
there's a mirror, those like uh, door mirrors hanging. And we can see that as soon as she closes the door, we see Marion's ghost lingering by the entrance of her room. Cut to Chief Vickery driving around and he pulls up to Sammy's just as Jackie O'Neill is leaving with some Bloody Mary mixer, of course. And Jackie mentions how she still owes Vickery a conversation, but he tells her that he got everything he needed. And she's like, something I should know about. And then Jackie's like, how's our girl? And the chief is like, oh, Jocelyn is fine. Uh, I'll send her, I'll give her your regards. And Jackie's like, I meant our other girl. And the chief asks if they're going to continue to play that little game forever. And Jackie's like, or, or we could just pretend that we don't know what we're talking about. And the chief tells her that he prefers that option. So she was basically asking him about Adora. And he responded like, oh, my wife is fine. And she's like, not that girl, honey. I'm talking about our girl. And he's like, I'm, he's like, I'm off to protect and serve. And Jackie's like, I'm off to mix and serve. And she just laughs at her own joke. <laughs> uh, cut to Camille walking into Emma's room as Emma plays with her dollhouse. And Camille asks her how she's doing. And Emma asks, she's like, she's, she, Emma asks if mama gave her the blue. And Camille says how she didn't want it. And Emma lets her know, lets her know that her favorite thing about getting wasted is how her mama will take care of her afterwards. And Camille, Camille's like, you can take care of yourself. Emma tells her how she doesn't mind uh, their mother taking care of her and how Adora prefers her that like that sweet, submissive and playing with her dollhouse. Camille goes over and whispers how she doesn't have to do this for her and how she doesn't. She's like, you don't have to. Camille tries to grab Adora's figuring from the top of the dollhouse and Emma stops her. And like in Camille jokes about how, about how even in the dollhouse, she can't enter her mother's room. And Emma seriously tells her, she's like, she seriously tells her how they're arresting John Keane today and how she heard it from her friend Roy, whose cousin works at the courthouse. And she asked if Dick, aka Willis, told her about it. Cut to Detective Willis getting to a doctor's office. And this place is run down. Like all of the people in the waiting room are under the influence of their drug of choice and they have track marks and bruises. And it's so sad. He goes up to the receptionist. And he asks for Beverly Van Lum. And the receptionist is like, we don't give out information. And Willis is like, she's not a patient. She's a nurse. And again, the receptionist tells him how they don't give off information. And this woman who's waiting in the waiting room, who clearly is addicted to some substance, realizes that he's a detective. And she gets up and she's like, I never met a celebrity before. As she carries her baby, who has the legs of a doll stuck inside her nose. And and then Willis, a third time, asks about Beverly Van Lum and the woman from the and a woman from the hallway is like, You're looking for me? And he goes up to her and says how Jackie O'Neill told him that he might know that she might know something about Marianne Krellen. Cut to Camille driving around and she sees a bunch of cops outside of Ashley's house and Vickery sees Camille as she drives by drives by and then Ashley gets there and she wants to know what they're doing in her house and Vickery explains how they got a search warrant but she wants to know why and he just tells her to wait wait inside inside the house Vickery asks where John is and Ashley is like oh he went out for a drive last night he just hasn't come home and Ashley tells him um and what is oh and Vickery is like for your sake and his sake you gotta tell me where he is at if you don't want to go to jail Ashley tells him how she just can't ab- abandon him because everyone would think she's a total bitch. And Vickery explains to her that she would actually be helping John out. And how John in the and um how in the eyes of the town, she would be a hero hero. And Ashley is like, like my name in the paper? And Vickery is like, 
face on TV, I reckon. And Ashley just says, he'd never have sex with me. Back at the doctor's office, Willis is asking Beverly what was Marion's cause of death. And she explains that she she just got passed around to a lot of doctors. So there were different diagnoses. And she lists all the ones that were given to Marianne and how they were all suspected, but none were com- confirmed. And how the night that she died, the attending was a guy that had never seen Marianne as a patient before. Willis is confused because she was treated at that hospital for four years before she died. And how she has a chart, a, a chart there. And Beverly explains that the chart is that he's holding was a choose your own adventure type of medical chart and how records weren't great back then and how the nurses were the records. So she kept a copy because she knew it would come in handy one day. Beverly tells Willis Munchausen by proxy MVP. And he asks if that's what killed Miriam and Beverly says, yes, it's a mental illness in adults. Munchausen is when you hurt yourself to get attention, you make yourself sick and everyone's at your beck and call. And she explains that by proxy is when you make another person sick so that you can take care of them and save them or try or be seen trying at least. He asks if she's saying that Adora has this and Beverly is like, I'm saying people have this, mostly mothers. Mothers who need to be worshipped to be heroes. Nothing more laudable than a woman who puts all her energy into her sick child. Willis tells uh, Beverly how she denied every request for information and she explains that she did what the doctors order. And he asks why she didn't go to the police and she says, I did and I lost my job at the hospital after which I never heard another thing about it. She also tells him how she still has friends at Woodbury Hospital if he's curious to talk to them. And she's like, not about Marion, about the other one. Cut to Adora walking into Emma's room with her blue medicine and she tries to get an Emma's uh, she she tries to get in Emma into bed so she can drink the medicine, but Emma tells her how she doesn't want it. And she just comes clean and tells Adora how she's not sick and how she just had a few beers last night. And Adora comments on how Camille was a bad influence to Marion and how she, now she's a bad influence to Emma as well. And Emma defends Camille and she's like, no, she's not. Adora thinks about it for a while and basically says how the cure for the hangover is pretty much the same as a cure for being sick because you're experiencing dehydration, vitamin deficiency, ex- exhaustion, etc. But Emma tells her how she feels fine and how she just needs some sleep. And she's like, and maybe a grilled cheese? And Adora's like, I don't think so. And Adora, of course, begins to play the victim. And she's like, you don't need me to make you feel better. You don't, meet, you don't need me to make you a grilled cheese. And Emma's like, oh, I don't know how to make a grilled cheese. And Adora continues and says how Emma should start doing her own laundry while they're at it and clean her own room and pave her own way. Adora says how she probably doesn't need her dollhouse either and how she's she's too much, much too mature for it. And Emma tells her to stop and she just like reluctantly goes to lay down in bed. And Adora tells her that it hurts her that Emma does not trust her to do the best for her as she opens the blue medicine bottle. Cut to Camille getting to sensors and she asks the bartender where someone can get a drink other than sensors around there. And he says, Beantown. Uh, and I think that's a racist, a racist thing because I think maybe like Mexicans or like Latinos leave, live in the other town. And and she's like, and, and the bartender is like, oh, and if you go there, you should get used to the smell of piss and blood. Um, and then she walks out of there and mentions how she might be back later. 
Cut to Willis getting to the diner and Vickery is there eating alone and he mentions how he's celebrating catching the killer. And Willis mentions how he read the statement of the worker who's quote unquote saw John dumping the bike and how the first thing that the worker um, that he noticed was that the worker that gave the statement works days and not nights. And he poses the question, what would a day worker be doing there at midnight? And Vickery agrees that it's a shit statement, but that it got them a search warrant. And he mentions how they found blood under John Keane's bed and how his girlfriend, Ashley, gave him up. And he's like, oh, and once they uh, once they get the forensics back from the blood, they can close the case. Willis then asks Vickery about what he knows about Mary, about how Mary and Krellen died. And Vickery is stunned by the question, but he doesn't skip a beat. And he tells Willis that he has fallen prey on what the town does best, gossip. Willis says how the nurse that saw Marion thinks different. And Vickery's like, oh, you're talking about the same nurse that got fired for malpractice and who now works at a meth clinic? And Willis is like, oh, talk about ugly gossip. Vickery is now upset and he gets eye level with Willis and he tells him how his priorities are a bit confused. And if he wants to help John Keane, that's fine. And if not, he can go back home and how it is his choice as he storms out of the diner. We then see Camille driving around what I'm assuming is quote unquote Beantown. And she pulls up to a house that is actually like a makeshift bar. And she begins walking around as people drink and smoke inside the house. Like, it's really weird. Like, it literally looks like a house that was made into a bar inside. She orders two bourbons as she notices John Keane sitting there drinking a beer. And she approaches him as he laughs. And they take the shot in silence. And then uh, Camille orders two more. He tells her that he went there to have one more drink or two before getting arrested. And, and he's drunk and says how he can't go back to Ashley's and how he for sure can't go back to his house now. And he's like, I would rather just go to the woods and kill myself rather than go back home. But bartender comes with two more shots and they take it and, and, and says how people think he did it because he cries about it. And Camille tells him how he's a guy and how guys are not supposed to have emotions. He also lets her know that he drinks because drinking helps with the coping. And he's just saying how the killer took the two girls in Wind Gap who actually had minds of their own, and then he killed them off. He asks if she thinks if Marion would have been friends with Natalie, and Camille's like, hell no. And he laughs, laughs and asks if, he, if her de dead sister is too good for his dead sister, and they laugh about it. Camille gets serious and straight up asks John Keane if he killed them because he never denied it, and how now's his chance to defend himself. He says that he's done. He's done with that, and he goes on a rant about how he wants to rape. He he wanted to rape them, but instead he kills them to kill the desire that he had for them, and how he pulled their teeth just like you pull the teeth of a pig, so they won't bite you. And how Natalie didn't scratch him because she bit her fingernails. And then he takes a beat and he is like, "See, I can tell stories too." And he's like, "I don't even care if you use that one for your story because I don't give a shit anymore." And he's like. What about this other story? A brother misses his sister so bad, he wants to die. But that's boring as shit, right? So spin another. Camille sympathizes with him and she mentions how you never really come back from it. And he tells her that when they found Natalie's body, her fingernails were painted. Now she would have never have done that. He takes a second and says how he didn't kill Natalie. And Camille is like, I know. And, jo and then John Keane tells her that it's a compliment. Uh, and 
Oh, what did I write here? Oh, oh, John Keen is like, you're really pretty. And then and then he just stays serious, like quiet. And he's like, it's just a compliment. Don't get any ideas. And Camille responds, so are you. They walk out of the ba- out of the bar house and he says how he can drive himself to the police station um, or drive himself into the lake. So like beggar's choice. <laughs> Camille lets him know that he can't get interrogated when he's drunk because they will coerce a confession out of him. But he says how he doesn't care if they arrest him or kill him because he was dead the minute that Natalie was murdered. And Camille tells him that he's not dead. And he tells her that she's and he's like, oh, you're basically dead, too. And Camille just says, fuck you. And he just says, go ahead, Camille, prove you're not dead. And Camille just stares at him. And honestly, the way that Camille is staring at John, like Amy Adams hasn't looked more beautiful than like how she looked like in this scene. Cut to Willis going to the hospital and he asked for the medical records of Emma. And damn, that folder is big. And he begins to look through it and he gets a text from Vickery. Cut to Camille and John Keane getting to a motel, and we see Vickery in his cop car. And uh, so it cuts to Vickery in his cop car, so he's not at the motel. And the operator is letting him know how their suspect was just seen at the El Camino motel. Cut to Emma's French roller skating over to Emma's house, and they knock, and the door answers and basically tells them that Emma is sick and not to come back today. And then they leave as Emma looks out the window. Emma begins to text on her second phone, but then she hears her mom coming up the stairs and she gets back in bed and she asks her mom what she thinks. She's like, what do you think I will be when I grow up? And if she thinks she will be like Marion and Adora tells her that she is like Marion. But Emma disagrees. She's like, because you can't be as good as someone that's already dead. Adora tells her how that's fever talk and then she gives her some more blue medicine and she tells her how she will be back in a little bit. And she's also like, oh, also give me your second phone. And Emma's like, what? But she's like reluctant, but then she just hands it over. And Dora tells Emma how Camille will leave on the next day and how things will go back to how, to normal. And Emma just says how she likes Camille being there as Adora walks out. Cut to Camille and John Keane getting to the motel. Uh, so they're inside the room now and he notices like the scars on her arm and comments on how he saw them the other day. And he asks if he can look at them. He goes over to her and he exposes her scars and she says, John, nobody sees. And he responds with, I do. Camille like tries to pull away, but he tells her that it's okay. And he begins to whisper that he just wants to see her. And he begins to take off Camille's shirt to expose her back, which is covered in scars. And he just stares at them in shock and he asks if they're everywhere. Camille turns around to face him and he begins to take off her pants as he reads some of her scars. Laid, drain, cherry, sick, gone. Camille chuckles and says, you're reading me. As he continues, uh, as he continues reading, wrong, falling. And he whimpers as he kisses her knee and then he just hugs her as he cries. He takes off his shirt and then he starts to eat her out and she's enjoying it. And he tells her how it's okay. And he takes off his pants and climbs on top of her and they begin to have sex. Cut to Adora making more medicine and fuck, she's like a fucking chemist. Like she's mixing some stuff like and then she's putting it all in that blue bottle. Alan walks in and he's like, how bad? And she's like, very bad, poor thing. 
she's like, oh, she tells Ellen to go relax and to go play some music. And then we see Emma trying to make her way out of her room. And she goes to Camille's room. And then she tries to turn on her laptop, but it's out of battery. And then she goes to the closet and sees that it's empty. And she stumbles upon the crime scene pictures of Anne and Natalie. We then see Emma back in her room as she climbs back in bed and she is looking sick. And then we get a flashback of Camille when she was younger and Adora is taking care of her the same way she does. She's doing to Emma in present day and she's caressing her back in a loving way. And then perfect transition. You know me, I fucking love perfect transition. So from young Camille and Adora caressing her back. It transitions to John Keane caressing Camille's scarred up back. And then he plants a loving kiss in one of her scars after like after that post-nut bliss. They're now laying in bed and Camille notices a scar of a bite mark in John's arm. And she asks if Natalie did that. And he's like, yes. And how he never thought of her as a bad kid. And how she was just completely herself. And how the town hated her for that. Camille asks about the biting, and John tells her that, hell yeah, she bit people. This fucking place, it was self-defense. John shares with Camille that the only person that ever gave a shit about his sister was her mom. Camille is shocked by this news, and she asks how Adora knew Natalie, and how she's like, oh, and she also knew Anne, and John calls Natalie and Anne the lost girls, the ones everybody gave up on, and how Adora just kept coming back for more, and how she never gave up on them, even when Natalie would fight her physically and Camille asks if Natalie won as she giggles at the thought of someone standing up to her mother and John says that yeah and how Adora even had to get stitches one time but how Anne was the one that gave her stitches not Natalie and he reiterates again how Adora never gave up as if she was gonna solve them cut to a flashback of young Camille in bed and her mom is trying to give her some of medicine of the blue medicine and Camille swats it away and then back in present day she tells John Keane I never let her solve me with the saddest doe eyes that Amy Adams, Amy Adams could possibly give. And then she says how maybe she's like, maybe I should have Camille gets up from bed. She puts on a shirt and there's some banging at the door and John runs to put his pants on and Camille goes back to bed to cover herself because she's naked from the waist down and the door is bursted open as John Keene is putting his pants and in barches Chief Vickery and Detective Willis with their guns drawn. Fucked up, fam. The amount of anxiety and secondhand embarrassment that this scene gives me is out of this world. Like, I literally paused, like, before they came in, I knew what was going to happen because I've already seen it before. I paused, like, the the episode, and I was like, no, like, I was, no, like, I was, I didn't want to see it. Oh, my God. So then they kind of realize like that Camille is there and Vickery is like, Jesus Christ, put your pants back on to son to uh, John Keane. And obviously Detective Willis is fucking stunned and he's just staring at Camille in disbelief and he walks out of the motel room. Chief Vickery, like, again, sees Camille in bed and she's like, and he asks John Keen if he's of age and he responds that he's 18. And then Vickery arrests John Keen as he reads him his rights. And then another police uh, man takes John Keen away and Vickery just stays with Camille in, in the room and he's like, I'm going to give you a few minutes to gather your things. Willis just lingers by the door as Camille tries to, like, put on her pants super fast and Richard, like, goes inside and closes the door behind him, and he asks how she wants to begin. 
And she tells him that it's not what it looks like and how she knows it sounds cliche. But and he interrupts her and says, this room fucking stinks of you. Believe me, I know the smell, bro. Moment of silence, fucked up. Okay, but like, why is that line so fucking hot? Like, what's wrong with me? This room fucking stinks of you. Like, oh, the pheromones. Oh my God, I can't. I literally, literally cannot. I mean, I feel like we've all been, well, maybe not all of us, but some of us have been in a situation where you walk into a room where someone just had sex and you're like, mm, someone just fucked, you know? <laughs> And I mean, it's obvious. They just fucked. They were both naked. Uh, Camille tries to explain that John just wanted to have a few drinks before getting arrested. And uh, and she thought maybe she could get a quote or two for her article and how she brought him back to the motel to, to sleep off the alcohol. And she also tells Willis that John Kane did not kill those girls. And he asked if he's like, was that something that you discussed when he had your dick inside of you? And Camille begins to say, you know that he didn't. And Willis is like, fuck you. And she responds with, kill them. Willis tells her how they found Natalie's blood under his bed and how it's always the family and how he should have known. And then he begins to say, I should have fucked the murder suspect weeks ago and I would have cracked the case then. Camille's like, don't. And he slams his fist on the table. He's fucking pissed. And Camille tries to explain how she and John Keane both lost people. And Willis chuckles and says, what comfort must must have been must that have been to each other and he confesses to her that for the last 24 hours he has been studying her because she's so fucking fascinating and he says it sarcastically willis tells her how he is done and he begins to walk out and she runs after him and tugs at him to not go and to please not hate her she's like pleading with him and he quietly tells her that he doesn't she's like i don't think you're a bad person and how he thinks that she's like one bad thing happened to you and you blame the rest of your shitty life on that bad thing and how people really buy your sad story but and, and, and but 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 that he knows that truth that she's just a drunk and a slut when he said this fucked up fam i gasped out loud a drunk and a slut oh oh my god if i heard that from oh my god I've been in a situation where I've been called like something really bad by like a man and I'm just like like you're shocked and I think that's what happened when like you, you don't you literally don't know how to react because you're just like I can't believe this man said those words to me Willis walks out and Chief Vickery is right there with like this little grin on his face as he lights a cigarette and another cop asks what he wants to what's to do with Camille and he's like just let her be and then Willis like waits in his car as Camille gets out of the room and then once he sees her going to his car into her car he drives away Camille notices a like a folder in her car and she opens it and it's Marion's medical file and she sees that a lot of names and her sister medical records are not her mom's but Jackie O'Neill then Camille pulls up to Jackie's house and uh, Camille, Jackie's like, oh, it's nice of you to stop by and how she was about to make something to drink. And she's like, oh, you look like you can use it. And she makes both of them Bloody Marys. Jackie is like, 
woman to woman, you look like shit. And then she shows Camille this like little container and she's like, oh, my husband gave me this ugly ass shit, but I keep all my beauty secrets inside. And it's a bunch of prescription pills and she urges Camille to take one. Camille just stares at Jackie as she goes through her pills and they both decide on one. Camille tells Jackie, she's like, you've always been really nice to me. And Camille tells her, she's like, I read Marianne's medical file and how your name is all over it with information requested, explanations, every test, every diagnosis. And Jackie's like, yep, all those requests were denied. Camille asks what she was looking for. And Jackie asks Camille what she remembers about her funeral, about Marianne's funeral. And Camille says that she remembers looking at her mostly. And Jackie tells her to drink with her and to let her host her for a bit. Jackie says how Marion's funeral was a goddamn, goddamn Martha Stewart funeral. And how Marion looked like an angel and Adora never looked more beautiful than that day. And how Adora cried and cried. And then she burned her. Camille is shocked by this information, and Jackie reiterates that Marion was cremated right after the funeral. And Jackie goes on about how the nurses loved the door at the hospital. And Camille begins to disassociate, and Jackie is like, the mother of that sick child, and she still managed to bring baked, baked sweets to the staff. And Camille begins to have flashbacks and visions of when Marion was a baby, and then seeing the woman in white at the edge of the park, and it being her mother. Jackie says, you don't like my Bloody Marys. It's fine. They're shitty, I know. But every time I ask you to drink them, you do. Why is that? Jackie answers her own question and says, it's easier. It's easier. And then she takes a drink for Marion and she tells Camille how she made it hard on herself and how she also made it hard on Adora. And with Marion, it was easier and how she would just lie back and take it. At this point, Camille's face is broken like you could see that she's heartbroken and she says and you knew and you just let it happen and Jackie's like what was I gonna do who was I gonna tell who the fuck was going to believe me and Camille responds no wonder you're sick Jackie tells her that she did what she could and Camille reiterates that she's sick as she grabs her stuff and begins to walk out and Jackie tells her to come back and Camille begins to run as Jackie screams God damn it, I did what I could. Cut to Camille driving and her phone rings and then Eileen answers and she asks if she can, and, and Camille asks if she can talk to Frank, but her voice breaks and Eileen is like, are you okay? And Camille pulls over as she tries to get some words out, but she can't and Eileen on the other line is like, sweetheart, you're scaring me. Camille begins to cry and Eileen asks if she's hurting herself again and Camille says no as she tries to say something but she begins to sob and Eileen goes outside and tells Frank that something is wrong and, and like they put uh, Camille on speakerphone and Frank is being super sweet and he tries to get Camille to calm down and he's like what's wrong cubby talk to me and Camille manages to blurt out my mother my mother did it as she sobs. Frank tells her to listen to him and that he knows that she's under a lot of stress and how he should have never sent her back to Wingap, but now she needs to go to the nearest airport and fly back home and how she can charge the and how she can charge the ticket and how he will pay her back when she gets it, but that he really needs her to get home. And Camille says, No, she's doing it again, and I need to take care of it. Cut to Adora going up the stairs and she gives Emma more medicine, and Emma looks like she 
like shit. And as soon as she takes the medicine, she throws up and Adora is like, good girl, as she comforts her. Then we see a flashback of Adora holding baby Marion and she bites her cheek and baby Marion begins to cry. And Camille has another image of her mom dressed in white in a white nightgown calling Natalie over from the edge of the park. Cut to Vickery seeing Camille driving her car and then he sees Emma's friends rollerblading and he drives up to them and he honks his horn and he asks them where their third roller pal is at, aka Emma, and they tell him how she's sick and how her mama didn't let her come out. We then see Alan put, putting on his, uh, turning on his stereo as Camille drives and we get flashbacks of Emma when she was younger hugging Alan as he spins her around and then we see Camille pull up to the house and then it cuts to Alma looking sick and sweaty, wearing a flower crown. End of episode. All right, fucked up fam. Let's get started with our segments, beginning with that shit's traumatizing. So right after like their night out or like she wakes up and she goes checks on Emma and Emma's like letting her know blah, blah, blah. Like did your little boyfriend tell you that they're going to arrest John Keen today. And then, like, Camille tries to, like, play with Emma's dollhouse, like, and try to, like, move the doll inside of Adora's room. And then she says, like, the most, like, heartbreaking thing. She's like, I can't even enter her her room in the dollhouse. So it's just, like... It's just like reminding us that she like we and we've seen it in previous episodes where she lingers by her mom's room where in like in the flashbacks she like puts just one toe inside and it's kind of like the fear and the anxiety that she continues to have about going inside her mom's room and the fact that not even in the dollhouse she could do it you can tell so it was like she said it like like as a joke but like you can tell that this kind of like fucks Camille up and it's something that she's just had to like push down and push aside so that it doesn't surface and she could like now she can make jokes about it but like it's not funny girl go get some therapy (laughs) oh my god finding out that Adora is a Munchausen mommy like it makes so much fucking sense even in this episode like um well obviously in this episode but at the beginning of the episode when Camille wakes up and her mom had changed her pajamas and like first of all why she's a grown woman like you know and then she's like so caring she's like oh my god look at what happened let me take care of you here's a little honey before the bitter of the medicine and then Camille is like no like leave me the fuck alone I I gotta go work and then Adora is just like oh yeah well I mean take a short day go work but come back to me so I could take care of you like the need to take care of her daughter is like I I I can't think of the word I can't think of the fucking word fucked up fab not me being like aloof and airheaded right now because I just took a CBD gummy so I could go to bed after I finish recording (laughs) Um, okay, let me see where I was going with this. Sorry about that. Look, this is what you get. 
This is what the fucked up family gets in this podcast. Sometimes I'm a little airheaded. It's fine. It's fine. But I'm going to get my point across regardless. Okay. What was the point? Oh, like in all the previous episodes, we've seen that the relationship between Adora and Camille is so strained. Like she basically tell no, she does tell her like, Ah, you're just like your dad. That's why I never loved you. TB TBH, TBH, you've literally, literally been a burden my whole life. And I don't like you. Like, I tolerate you because you're my daughter. But, and she's like, I feel like it's what's expected of her because Adora is like a high, like, member of society, you know? And it's just like, you're expected to love your kids. So she puts on a show, but she hates Camille. <laughs> But the moment that Camille uh, gives, like, even an inch of, like, needing Adora's help or, like, being in a position where she needs to be taken care of, Adora's like, what can I do for you? Let me help you. Let me assist you. Let me take care of you. Your poor ankle, it's so swollen. Like, Munchausen mommy? Yes, she is. And also, we see that in the scene with um Emma where Adora is like come on get on bed let me give you your medicine and like Emma comes clean and she's like mom like look I'm not sick I just drank a little bit yesterday I'm hungover I just need to sleep it off and then I'll have like can, can you make me a grilled cheese like she's trying to like get on her mom's good side and she's like mm, actually no and actually make your own grilled cheese bitch and the fact that Emma doesn't even know how to make a grilled cheese bitch it's literally bread butter cheese it doesn't get more simple than that honey it doesn't get more simple than that love at your big age you're out here doing drugs you're out here seducing people like you should be able to make yourself a grilled cheese like it just doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. Yes, these girls were raised with a silver platter or whatever the fucking saying is. Um, so it's like they've never had to work for anything in their life. Well, now Camille, as an adult, she had to because she basically got excommunicated by her own family, as we can see. She's the black sheep of the family. But for Emma, she's still a teenager. She lives at home. She doesn't know how to do anything. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to shut up. I'm going to behave. And I'm going to take this fucking medicine because if not, my mom's going to take away everything from me. And she's going to take away one of my like prized possessions, which is my dollhouse. Also, why am I talking like a million hours uh a million hour a million miles an hour i can't i can't I, literally i need to stop saying literally take a shot every time i say literally <laughs> but also like adora is like it, it it hurts me like that's such like a guilt tripping thing to do of a mother it hurts me that you don't trust me and like camille's a bad influence on you she's always blaming shit on camille Camille, Camille, can't even pronounce Camille, <laughs> come here, I'm just kidding, that was so stupid, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, you know what was really sad, and we learned about it later, but like, you know, Willis goes to the uh, methadone clinic, he meets the nurse that she was kind of like the one asking questions after Marion died, 
And then uh, later we found out when he's talking to Vickery and he and he confronts Vickery about it. And Vickery is all like, oh, you've fallen victim to this town's like bad thing. So you're a gossiper now. You love gossip. And basically he's like that that nurse lied and she got fired from her job. And now she works as, at a meth clinic and she po- probably does meth herself. What? So it just shows you the power that the name Adora Krellin has in Wingap. Obviously, she's a direct descendant from what is what was her name? Missy Calhoun or whatever, the founder's wife. Um, so it's just like obviously she has a lot of power in the town. I mean, she's the the chief of fucking police is a regular at her house. He has a regular drink at her house served by her maid. Yes, you heard that. that uh, I just hate, and I don't know if it's still like common in like like southern households, but like the maid wearing a maid outfit like that. If that ain't racist, <laughs> I don't know what is. Especially she's a black woman in a maid outfit working for this white people so it's just like gala sweetie like i hope they're paying you the big bucks i hope you have fucking health insurance gala i pray to god (laughs) um but the nurse i believe her name was beverly i don't remember her name um but she was discredited like her reputation was ruined for caring for worrying about the the actual reason why this child died and it's like yeah back then they're wearing records the nurses were the records so you're just one nurse you're quote unquote a nobody being like put face to face with like the princess of the town obviously you're gonna go down and obviously everyone's gonna believe the rich oh sorry i hit my mic the rich white lady even though the nurse was also white but she was probably not rich tbh tbh um but that's just so fucked up how your reputation and and it's just like by trying to do a good thing and still like your reputation could be ruined that's why you shouldn't do good things just That's why you should be selfish and only care about yourself. I'm obviously kidding. Obviously, it's a jokey joke. Um, And then this is now when, like, you know, Camille goes to, I don't even know what the name of the town is, but the bartender called it Beantown. Racist? Bartender or owner of censors? I thought you were cool, but now you're racist. I mean, I feel like everyone in Wind Gap is a little racist. I mean... There were fucking Confederate flags all over Calhoun Day. So, yes, everyone is a little racist. They fought for the wrong side of the fucking... He's like, what was it? They were Confederate soldiers. They were dressed up as Confederate soldiers, not Union soldiers. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's not fine. It, it really is. <laughs> but, so... Oh, sorry. I burped. I'm so sorry. I don't think I ever... I've ever burped in front of y'all in the 10 seasons that I've had my podcast, that show fucked me up. I don't think I've ever, ever burped in front of y'all. 
I'm so sorry. Like, I've, I've been trying so hard to be ladylike, and now after 10 seasons, I failed. It's fine. It's fine, right? Tell me it's fine. Please, please, please. It's just kidding. They're like, you stopped listening to me because I burped. And it was a tiny fucking burp. Okay, whatever. Going off track. Going off track. So, okay. Camille is driving around the neighboring town, and she sees John Keane's, uh, like, car because it's the only bougie looking car outside this like makeshift bar and after like after they had their conversation something that was really like kind of like a slap in the face a reality like check it's when when fucking John Keen is like like honestly I don't care like I don't care anymore I'll lie and say that I did it like honestly I was dead the minute that they mur- some like they murdered my sister. I was dead the minute that Natalie died. That is so fucking heartbreaking. And the whole giving up because he knows he did not do it. He knows that he loved his sister. And we can all tell and Camille knows. But it's just like everything's pointing at him. And he's like, at this point, like, I just need it to end. I just need this fucking, like, what witch hunt to just stop. I need some peace. I'm never going to have it ever again in my life. But at least it's better than being, like, the town piranha. Piranha. Again, the fucking word piranha. <laughs> We tied it. We tied it all back to the beginning of the episode. Fucked up, fam. But <sighs> John Keen, John Keen. The next thing on my list. Oh my god. Look. Ah, uh, I don't even know where to start. Like, I'm having such a hard time trying to process my thoughts on this specific t- subject. Subject. It's a tough jet. Tough, like a tough subject. I'm so sorry. Okay. What I wrote in my notes, I'm just basically going to read it. Trauma bonded sex. Obviously, I have an issue because Camille is like 30 something, like mid 30s. And John Keane is just 18. So again, super fucking problematic. Yes, he's of age. But he was literally a child two days ago, right? Well, like, I don't know when his birthday was, but, like, still, like, he was a child last year. And you've been an adult for almost half of his life. Or, like, no, you've been an adult for the same amount of years that he's been alive. Get it? Because, like, 18 times 2 is 36. Y'all could do math, right? Like, y'all know math. Um, I'm sorry. Obviously, y'all know. Obviously, y'all know how to add. Please tell me you do. Please. I'm begging you. But age gap, problematic. Like, I know they had a couple of drinks at the bar. And we all know that my girlie Camille has an alcohol issue. And we all know that to cope with the horrible murder of his sister, John Keane has turned to alcohol. So we know that they've got that in common. And they had two shots together, but then he had already drank a couple beers, and I don't know what happened, like, in between the time that they were there and they left. 
another thing that they have in common dead little sisters marianne natalie keen both dead and like camille's fascination with i don't want to use the word fascination camille's determination to get to the bottom of these two horrible unsolved murders and the fact that one of the unsolved murders is the one of his little sister who he loved and he adored and he he's going down for like he's literally about to get arrested i'm such a fucking libra because i'm making excuses for camille having sex with this almost child i literally put in my notes and then and then and then ah fucked up fam the second hand like like i like i know i already said this during the episode but i knew it was coming because i i've obviously this is my second watch I knew it was coming. And it still made me cringe so hard. Like I paused it, I screamed, and then I played it. And then I saw the second that they barge into the hotel room. And then Willis, Detective Willis, sees Camille in bed. And she's like covering herself because she's wearing a shirt. But she's not wearing any fucking panties or anything under. So it's just like the embarrassment of your i don't want to say boyfriend because they weren't boyfriend and girlfriend the embarrassment of the last man you had sex barging into the room of the man you just had sex with that doesn't make sense okay okay let me let me try again let me try again the embarrassment of the of <laughs> The embarrassment of having the last man, the second to last man you had sex with, barging into the room with the man you just had sex with and seeing you in bed with him and then arresting him. Ah! And also the chief of police of Windgap also being there. That's so fucking embarrassing. Like I would literally crawl into a hole and die. That would be the end of me. Like, I could never show my face anywhere again. I can't. I can't, I can't, I can't. And then, like, after they arrest uh, John Keen and Camille stays in the room and, like, Willis comes back inside. And he's just, like, obviously he's mad. Obviously he has a reason to be mad, right? Because... You can tell he really liked Camille, like, and he was doing all this fucking research that had nothing to do with the case about Camille's, like, horrible fucking upbringing and the fact that Marion's, like, medical file is huge and then finding out that Emma's medical file is also huge. And, like, he tells her, he's like... I've been spending the last 48 hours researching you because I find you fascinating. But at the end of the day, you're just a drunk and a slut. Ah! When he said, this room stinks of you, I would know. My pussy quivered. Like, <laughs> I'm so, if you know me in real life, it did not. My, uh, 
genitals did not quiver. I don't know why I'm using that terminology. I'm trying to be fancy or whatever, but this room stinks of you. No, but then he called her a fucking slut and a drunk. Damn, dude. It's not a good day for my girly Camille. It's not. It's not. And then to that, the cherry on top, she goes to her confidant, confidant, confidant. Okay, I think I can pronounce that word. She goes to her confidant, Jackie O'Neill, and Jackie reveals that she's basically always known about Marion. And that's probably such a punch to the gut, like the betrayal. Like, and again, such a Libra thing of me to say, what could Jackie have done, right? We saw what happened to the nurse. And I feel like Jackie implemented the whole keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer type of deal with Adora because she was always hanging around. She was always there for Camille. Like she was Camille's safe person. She was literally Camille's safe heavens, haven, haven, safe haven sometimes. Like when she was a teenager after her sister died, like who could she turn to? Because Adora wasn't going to provide any type of maternal care. But Jackie was there. So, like, I get her side of, like, saying, what was I supposed to do? And how has she coped with things? She's an addict. She loves her prescription pills. She loves popping pills. She's got a collection of her pills. And she loves her fucking Bloody Marys. Yes, she fucking does. But... What else was I going to say? The phone call with when when um, Eileen calls her and she's like, what's wrong? What's wrong, honey? What's wrong? She's like, can I talk to Frank? And her voice breaks. And then Frank is like all worried and concerned. And he's like, talk to me, cubby. What's wrong? Like, just, I just need you to get back on a plane and come home. Okay. It's all, it's all going to work out. And like, I think that's the, like, cause it was right after her visit at Jackie's house. And I think that's when fucking Camille finally put two and two together and realized fuck my mom killed my sister now these two girls who my mom was super close to are also dead so she starts doing the math and it starts adding up so i think it was just way too much for her i think Because we saw her break down a little bit during Calhoun Day, but she got it together because Frank was like her rock. And he's like, no, you got this. Come on, blah, blah, blah. And and then right now, like after that phone, like during that phone call, we see her break down, like sobbing. Oh, I can't. And (laughs) as you can tell. This episode didn't have any heartwarming things. Like, I only put one thing under the... That shit's heartwarming slash lighthearted. And I don't think it even, like, falls into this category. But I wanted to mention it. The makeshift bar inside, like, a house. There's literally kids there. There's literally, like... Like, they probably live there at night. And during the day, they just turn it into a bar for the locals. 
I don't know why I pronounce locals that way. The locos, <laughs> the crazy people. Um, and I just thought, I feel like it must be an alcoholic thing, but just the understanding of like, I just need a drink. So like Camille pulling up with two shots and she's like, this one's for you and this one's for me. And then they take them in silence and she orders two more and she's like, we need this. We fucking need this. Um, but yeah, that was literally, literally the only thing that's in my that shit's heartwarming slash lighthearted uh, sex segment. Take it with a grain of salt segment. I literally didn't prepare anything, so I'm just coming up with it as I go. Take it with a grain of salt. When someone is sick, ask questions. Like, I don't know. Is that my take it with a grain of salt segment? Like, is that my final thought for the episode? Because sometimes you can't ask questions because then you're nosy. Maybe that that's what makes it easier. Because I'm just like, Marion was so sick. What was she sick for? But like, maybe Adora is just a great fucking liar. And the fact that Adora cremated Marion right after her funeral where she like made an effort for her to look beautiful and Adora looked beautiful and she never looked better as she cried her big crocodile tears and I genuinely think she was upset like I genuinely think she was mourning her daughter and because it's mental illness ain't it um she wasn't aware that she was the cause of the death like I just realized that that not everyone is (laughs) self-aware I literally just, literally, okay, I need to stop, I need to fucking stop, (laughs) I just realized that some people, some bad people don't know that they're bad because they're not self-aware, girly pop, girly pop, it's really bad when you're self-aware because then you know you're doing bad things or you're doing stupid things or you're making dumb fucking decisions and you're just like, but it's for the plot, you know, it's part of my storyline. It's my, what is it called? It's my villain origin story. Yes, it is. But honestly, I don't have anything else to talk about. TB fucking age. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, we've gotten to the end of the episode. Uh, you already know the drill i forgot the word <laughs> you already know the drill follow the podcast on social media on instagram where that show effed me up f is spelled e-f-f-e-d on twitter where that d-a-t show fuck me up fuck this spelled without a u so it's f-c-k-e-d give or leave the podcast a five-star review on apple Podcasts and on spotify and if you leave a, a written review i'll give you a little kiss on the mouth next time i see you it really helps with visibility okay thank you i'll give you an advance right now Mwah. um thank you so much for listening fucked up fam i love you so much i appreciate y'all so much um and yeah and remember Be gentle, be kind, and don't be an asshole unless you absolutely have to be. Goodbye.